Let's ask the Lord for his help this morning. Well, Father, we come and we thank you that you have given us the Psalms. We thank you that we can pray these. We thank you that they show so much of who you are and what you desire to do in us through Christ. So we lift up our hearts to you. Lord, open our minds and our hearts as we receive your word. Give me the Holy Spirit to make it clear. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, as Matthew said, we are introducing a new series. Um, since uh, Jeremy and Amy are on sabbatical and getting rest and renewal in that sabbatical, we thought that we would offer you a chance to get rest and renewal also. So we're calling this like the summer spiritual renewal in the Psalms. Um, each week, a different elder is going to preach a psalm, uh, maybe one of his favorite psalms, um, that has a special facet of spiritual renewal. Um, you know, we all have our favorite playlist, right? You know, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, whatever. We have our go-to psalms, our prayers, our scripture. So think of the psalms as God's prayer list. Um, if we can grow closer to him, we can get to know him more. And then we turn this praise and comfort, joy, lament, and exaltation into spiritual renewal in our lives. That's what we want to do. So we want to shine the light on the different genres of the Psalms and exhort you to pray and practice through these spiritual disciplines that we highlight. Uh, we are sure that this is going to be helpful to you. I know it's helpful for us. And we will be renewed day by day. So, um, As we're starting this series, I thought it'd be helpful to think about what types of psalms you come across in the 150 psalms that we have in our Bible. And there are seven basic types. I'm just going to hit them very quick. Um, there's a lament psalms. So that means prayer for God's deliverance in moments of despair. There's a thanksgiving psalm, which is today's, where you give praise for God's gracious acts are giving thanks. Enthronement psalm is one that describes God's rule, his sovereign rule over all creation. There's a pilgrim psalms, like um, the psalm of ascents, where they're sung by the worshipers as they travel up to Jerusalem for the festivals. The royal psalms, these portray the reign of the earthly king with a view of the heavenly king of Israel. Wisdom Psalms, um, what Pete is going to preach next week, Psalm 19, these instruct the worshiper in the way of wisdom and righteousness. And then the imprecatory Psalms, the ones that you would never think would be in the Bibles, these invoke God's wrath and judgment against our enemies. So each week, we're going to examine different psalms. So I want you to put 
maybe write this down, keep asking this question as we go through the Psalms. How does this Psalm testify to Christ? How does this Psalm testify to Christ? Now, Psalm 138 is a psalm and prayer of thanksgiving. Um, as I was thinking about this and about introducing, I came across an article on mental health how, called What You Get When You Give Thanks. And this was written from a Christian perspective. So when we give thanks, it increases happiness and decreases depression. It gives us better sleep, lower stress, resilience in our life. And actually, if we give thanks, helps us build friendships. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton, the old British uh, author. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. I love that. So here's the main thought today. By giving thanks to the Lord, we remind ourselves. We remind ourselves that he will finish his work in us. And he'll never let us go. He'll never let us go. So Psalm 138. Open your Bibles or your app to Psalm 38. We're going to walk right through this. The context, just so you get an idea, is around 1010 B.C. David had just become king over Israel. They had conquered Jerusalem. He had the Ark of the Covenant um, come into Jerusalem, set it up in the tent of the tabernacle. He'll often call that the temple, David will, in his psalms. And then God had given him peace over his enemies, right? So picture David bowing before the temple, the tabernacle, with his arms raised, praying or singing this psalm. He is thankful to the Lord, aware of God's loving kindness to him, and yet he envisions his worldwide kingdom where every knee will bow, where all the kings of the earth will bow down to the true Messiah. So uh, let us pray through the psalm as I preach it, right? Apply the psalm personally today to see the Lord working in our lives, that we are in his hands. So I'm, I see three ways of thinking through the psalms. It breaks down fairly easy, giving personal thanks, accepting global thanksgiving, and then the benefits of thanksgiving. So it's easy to see that this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. Look in your Bible. In three times in the first four verses, it says, I give you thanks. I give thanks over and over and over again. So David ponders his kingship, Israel at peace. He acknowledges the one who has given him this. He gives thanks with his whole heart. We know David as a man after God's own heart. So he's all in. Notice in verse 1, he doesn't focus on the gods that surround his nation of Israel. He focuses one and only on Yahweh, the Lord. He highlights two attributes in verse 2 of God, 
steadfast love and his faithfulness, and we're going to come back to those in a minute. But first look at verse 2. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. And another way, other translations have done this. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now I mentioned that Pete is going to preach on Psalm 19 next week. And that's where David um, compares God as creator and his word. Um, spiritual renewal begins with God's word. I can't encourage you more. That you want to be renewed in your heart and your mind, read the word, right? There's so many ways to, to do that. You know, we can listen to it, we can read it, we have um, wonderful journal uh, ESVs available now online. It's just great. You know, it's funny. We plan our meals during the day, during the week. We plan our recreation. We plan our sleep, our rest. But do we plan spiritual renewal and rejuvenation? That's what we want to do as we work through these psalms. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about verse 2. He says, God's name is revealed in the measure in nature, in providence. Now that, that name may be spelled out. But David tells us here that the Lord has magnified his word above all his name. If a man paints grand pictures, even if I never met him, I know a little about him when I see his paintings. But if he writes me a letter, Surgeon goes on, and in that letter tells me what is his very heart, I know more about him by his words than I do his words. And there is more of God in these passages, in the Psalms and the Bible, than in the whole universe besides. So the word that tells us who God is and who we are. We were listening to um, the book when the crawdads sing this past, well, we were on uh, last week, seeing her grandson. And the main character, Kaya, cannot read. And she says something really profound. She learns how to read, and she reads the first sentence. And she says this, I wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full. That's how we should feel about the scriptures. No matter how many times we read the scriptures, God is continuing to open up this big mind where we, we harvest and mine the, jewel, the jewels of God's word. And so one of the jewels I want to spend a little bit of time this morning is the word for steadfast love is in verse 2. The reason I want to do that is because it's the word, I'm not going to say in Hebrew because I can't fit, okay? Hesed, okay? It has a guttural sound, all right? Hesed. And it commands our attention because in the scripture, in the Old Testament alone, it appears 255 times. And in the Psalms, 130. 
those important words for us to understand. And it's translated, if you never noticed maybe, it's translated different ways in different translations. Mercy, love, steadfast love, loving kindness, faithful love. If the word Kaya would find hold so much, do a little search this week and you'll discover verses like Lamentations 3.23, Psalm 23.6, Micah 6, 8, Exodus 34, 6. The wonderful word study. Now in seminary, the reason I bring this up, in seminary I learned to translate the word Hesed as covenantal love. Faithful love. That's a committed love the Lord has for his people. And it's specially connected with faithfulness. We're not going to spend much time on faithfulness, but it's 25 times alone, this combination in the Psalms. There's a wonderful devotion that I love. It's called Psalms for the Day by Alex Matnir. Alex Matnir is a is a Hebrew scholar from England, but he says this about Hesed. He says sometimes Hesed is translated compassion, which has a connotation of um, emotional love. But he says Hesed, though it, it really is ever unchanging, committed love. The love that says, I will. A love of determination and commitment. Compassion, he goes on to say, is it's like a heart love. You know, being in love. But Hesed is the commitment of true love. A declaration of the will. So we see Hesed is the love that will never let us go. It befits the gospel, doesn't it? It is the love of Christ that proclaims he will never leave us or forsake us. It is grace that never fails. This, Hesed, gives David confidence. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. I don't know about you, but no one, no one even leaves voicemail anymore, right? Or when you call, it goes to voicemail. David knows that God would never let a call go to voicemail, right? God always answers right away when we call out. So David was confident in the Lord that he would answer his prayers, that he would increase the strength of his soul. So giving thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, David his whole heart, David, was totally submitted to the Lord, heart, mind, and soul. Which is interesting, right? You think, just think about what David went through in his life, right? As a shepherd, David protected his father's flock from lions and bears. Not too tough if you're in the NFC North, right? Lions and bears. Okay. But imagine... David dodging fears, right, of King Saul. And then he faces, before that he faced Goliath, right? Then, then there were all the enemies of the nations trying to take David down. And yet he says, on the day I called, you answered me. 
And if God answered David, how much more will he answer us in the name of Jesus? Matthew already read this scripture. That's the way the Spirit works. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whenever you wish. It will be done for you. Jesus' words. So by giving thanks to the Lord, we remind ourselves we, that he will finish his work in us and never let us go. So that brings us to our second point. David is accepting global thanksgiving. It's pretty obvious to me that verses 4 and 5 must be future. It's hard to imagine in our present global situation that all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks and shall sing of your ways. Can you imagine Vladimir Putin, Putin giving thanks to the Lord of the universe? Can you imagine him singing, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more? No. David is looking ahead. He's projecting to a future time when the Lord's glory fills the earth. I think the Apostle Paul captures this, right? In Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. David was a local king. Though he conquered far and wide, his was not a global kingdom. But there will come a day when Jesus will reign on the earth, and his light will shine for all to see. Perhaps, David, is picturing that millennial kingdom that Jeremy preached about, where Jesus reigns on the earth. There's a thought I, I've shared with some people um, in times of trouble. Uh, Phil Wickham's psalm, Hymn of Heaven, and uh, it's a great psalm. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more, standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. So as we give thanks to God today, remember there will come a day when we're going to see him face to face, even in the midst of our troubles. Now before we move on to 7 and 8, where I really want to spend the most of my time, I want to look at verse 6, because... Um, in the ESV, it kind of couples it with 4 and 5, right? But I, I think it actually acts as a segue to verse 7. You know, kings are important to the earth, but a humble, lowly person gets God's attention. Isaiah 66, 2 says, The Lord declares, but this, to this one, to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is David's posture as he's going in to verses 7 and 8. I began this talk talking about mental health benefits of giving thanks, right? But here are the deeper benefits 
in verses 7 and 8. Personally, the reason I preach this passage is this was my go-to verses during a very difficult time a couple of years ago. As I began second year church planning, imagine this. Imagine Carol and I, how we felt we lost our jobs on the same day. We were sitting in the house that we didn't own anymore. We were going to move in with our son in North Minneapolis, right? And then needing to raise, fundraise, to have some income to supplement Carol's unemployment. That was it. And God led me to this psalm that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So how do you get the seven and eight? Through the spiritual renewal of thanksgiving. The Lord knew our circumstances, right? And he put these words in David's heart 3,000 years ago so Carol and I would have hope and comfort. You see, when all the crutches of security are not asunder, we need to hear these words. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. For me. David is so bold to say me and make it a personal promise. It should not bother us that David seeks to personalize his psalm of thanksgiving. After all, it is his psalm. Now, if you've ever wrote poetry or maybe you've written psalms, you, you may have gone from general to specific, right? To personal application, pulling out uh, things out of the heart to express the full meaning of the poem or psalm. Psalm. And keeping a psalm at a theoretical level just doesn't work, right? We see this even in the Apostle Paul, right? How great theology is in his letters, but then he goes on to say in Galatians 20, 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you? Do you believe that? The first purpose the Lord has for us is to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this purpose that God has for us is dependent on our word hesed. It says, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. If my salvation and life in Christ is not grounded on that covenantal faithful love, then I have no guarantee of his purpose being fulfilled in me or that he will not forsake me or abandon the work of his hands. How encouraging and comforting these words are to us. The Lord will fulfill his purpose 
in us. Not maybe. Not with some probability. He will do it. The Apostle Paul knew that, right? Philippians 1.6, going back where we just were. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, if you are here and you've never begun a walk with Jesus to follow him, just ask him. Ask him to bring, begin a good work in you. Turn away from your sins, which is called repentance, and then turn to the one who can save you, the one who can give you true purpose in your life. And the Lord will fulfill his purpose. Not maybe, not perhaps, because he is able. I love this passage. I've gone to it many times in Romans 4, 20, 21. Paul writes, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So as, as I conclude, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I am not an artist. I write music, I write poetry, I play, but, you know, don't let me paint or, or draw or whatever. But I love the idea of doing pottery. I, I've never done it. I, I'm really tactile sensitive, so maybe that's not the best thing for me. But think about a, a pot, someone that does pottery, right? They have a vision of what this thing's going to look like. And then they mold it, and then, what is it, turn, it, it comes out. And sometimes they make a mistake and they correct it along the way. But then they finish, really, literally finish the work of their hands. How much more, how much more the Master Father, our Father God, through Jesus' Son, I love what Jeremiah says about pottery. He says, To say that we are clay in the hands of the potter acknowledges God's handiwork as the master potter and his authority to shape us inwardly. He spiritually fashions us into a vessel fit for his use, molded as an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gives us, he continues, a biblical basis for thinking of the events and influences of our lives as his hands and his fingers shape us like a potter shaping clay. This last phrase of our psalm is a prayer. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So when we are anxious, don't forsake the work of your hands. When we don't see a way out, when we have sinned and are shaken by our humanness, he will not forsake the work of his hands. When we've done our best and don't know what the next thing is, when we lose confidence in the gospel, he will not forsake the work of his hands. 
when we sing, I believe, help my unbelief, I cannot go on anymore. He will not forsake the work of his hands. Trust in the grace and mercy, the covenantal love of Jesus Christ. He will not forsake the work of his hands. He will finish the work in you. And it will be glorious. It will be glorious. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we thank you for this promise today. We thank you for this prayer of David. Lord, help us. Help us as we wrestle in life, knowing that you will fulfill your purpose in us and not forsake the work of your hands through Christ our Lord. Amen. Each week, we share the feast of the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of the gospel. What better word today than to remember Jesus' steadfast love for us, his covenantal love, his faithful love demonstrated on the cross. Steadfast love endures because Christ has died, buried, rose again on the third day, ascended, and sits at the right hand of the Father, endures forever because Christ is eternal. His new covenant in his blood will never be remanded or rescinded. And there will never be a new way because Jesus is the way, the truth, life. No man or woman comes to the Father but through him. That's what we celebrate today. So if you have put your trust in Christ, this table is for you. If you're still not quite sure, you, you can make, you can ask the Lord right now to make you new, even now. So we come and we proclaim the gospel to ourselves, we echo the gospel as we come. So come and take the elements, and then we will share it together.